I have no notes. Perfect. Uh, what was what's the movie? Kids. Yeah, kids. <laughs> we might be childhood friends, and I might drive you around the bend, but I'm sure it's crazy kids to work it out in the end. I might kiss you on the lips to spite your nose, but I guess that's how it goes. Let's keep falling in love with our strange bedfellows. Hello, and welcome to the big show. It's Strange Bedfellows. I am Daddy Jack. I am. Do we? And I'm saying we're saying daddies now. You can if you are a daddy. Oh, okay. I am daddy. I am daddy Tanner. Um, and we are joined by a guest this week. The great. Do you want to be a daddy, daddy, honorary daddy, Matthew? Or <laughs> I think I'm an uncle for this. Okay. We're joined by the great uncle Matthew Perpetua, uh, music writer and creator of the great Flux blog and Flux Pod music podcast and blog um that everybody should listen to and oh any notable episodes jack any notable episodes <laughs> of oh that of flux pod with? yeah well, what um, would you say is a good place to start for the for the podcast there's so many different points to dive into but if you truly love music you should listen to the episode i assume you've only done one all about rem in which uh special guest jack shepherd talks with matthew for two hours <laughs> Yeah, it was a long one. We, we went real deep. Uh, and it's a great episode. I guess my invite to come on and talk about um, something corporate. Cherry popping daddies. Okay, there we go. <laughs> Got lost I'm, I'm going to start recording huh? episodes again soon, so it might be time. It might be time, <laughs> This week. Welcome to the show, Matthew. We are talking about singles. Tanner, had you ever seen it before? No. I assume you've seen it before, Matthew. I assume it's a touchstone for you, but maybe not. Yeah, I, I saw it a bunch of times when I was a teenager, and then like I think maybe like in ten year intervals since. So like I think watching it now is like okay, this is the first time I think I've watched it since I'm like definitely, definitively older than everyone in it. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Frightened me when Bridget Fonda said that she was, I think, twenty two years old. Twenty or twenty three. <laughs> But I mean, I think some of the older characters, like the like the Kira Sedgwick character, I think she's meant to be like around 30, 31, something like that. I don't know how to relate to a 23-year-old. This movie can't ask me to, especially with a 23-year-old from Seattle in 1992. <laughs> <laughs> it seemed like an entirely different ecosystem. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that's also you saying you can't relate to a person who's significantly older than you. Oh, I know. Yeah, no, I, I sent Jack a text last night <laughs> and said, this movie is full of like some of the best hits that my dad loved <laughs> that I've ever heard. Because um, when this movie came out in 1992, I was eight and my parents were in their 30s. Okay. So that actually was true. I thought you were just yeah. making fun of me. <laughs> no. <laughs> Which is why I didn't respond. I was like, okay, all right, yeah. calm down. But in fact, that's literally yeah. true. Yeah. I know several adult people who were born at the same time or just after this movie coming out. Which is a whole thing. People who are like currently 30 years old. And yeah. Yeah, they were not here yet for this movie. Horrifying. Time. It's just crazy. We have a segment which we'll maybe do in the second half of this episode where I uh, pull a bunch of Rotten Tomatoes reviews of the film and we talk about them. 
and do a little light role play. <laughs> yeah, some role play. It's mostly me. <laughs> Tanner does a little light role play. I role play as yeah. myself. And I was looking, I spent a long time looking for, I wanted to get like the perfect funny review of someone who was like 20 and just watched it as a movie and didn't get like, who are all these dudes with long hair and like, what's this music? <laughs> but there wasn't that because I guess this movie doesn't register for those people. <laughs> like they don't well, know it, about it. <laughs> I mean, the movie had the good fortune of hitting at the exact moment that like Pearl Jam blew up, so everyone in it would be well, maybe because famous. of this movie, but before, right? But where's the know, chicken and where's it, the egg? It was a little bit after it because I mean, it certainly helped, but you know, like that, like that Pearl Jam record was out for like a, maybe up to a year before there, and like Soundgarden had been around a bit, Allison Chains had been around a bit. Look, they weren't like famous the way they were like famous the time this came out. Yeah. So this is will be my first of many pieces of trivia I'm going to share about this film. Oh. I did like a, I did a real deep dive. I read a bunch of articles uh, and retrospectives. Just, let me ease myself in. Here. <laughs> let me get comfortable. So they uh. they made the movie uh, if Cameron Crowe is to be believed before Nevermind. So the movie was made like basically like a bunch of like you know like chris cornell was working in a coffee shop and they made yeah. the movie and warner brothers had decided they weren't going to put the movie out because they didn't get it um and then nevermind hit and warner brothers was like please can we release this immediately and call it come as you are <laughs> even though nirvana is the one band who has no it's not like this. literally not, not on it. the soundtrack <laughs> there's no reference point to them at all it's like even the sub does take stuff place is about Seattle. mud honey and not them yeah one of the guys can't remember if it's matt dylan is wearing like a green river t-shirt like the mother love bone is the you know the beating heart of this movie not nirvana but they made it work apparently uh then warner brothers came back to cameron crow and was like okay cool we've got another title can we call it one hot summer <laughs> <laughs> it's like what is wrong wow. with you and then he was like uh, the quote is he said uh, no it's not called One Hot Summer it's called Singles and then finally I think their kids were telling them you have Pearl Jam in this movie you have to put it out yeah it's funny because there's a version of of history where Pearl Jam did not hook in any way and like oh yeah you know those, those guys who were in Pearl Jam like they were uh, you know they had that record like uh, it would be kind of similar if like I don't know if like uh now I'm just losing some kind of good analogy for this, but yeah, it's like like you know they would just be like nobodies at the time of this. They would just be like guys who were like you used to be in a band and their friend. Yeah, totally. Eddie, Eddie Butter would be their <laughs> yeah. new friend. Yeah, it's like it's the two of the members of Mother Love Bone and like the guy who's sleeping on their couch. Yeah. <laughs> Just our, our friend from San Diego, Ed. <laughs> Tanner, should we describe this film? Would you like to describe this film since you're kind of a, a virgin uh, receiver yeah. of this film? Sorry I said it that way. I wish I hadn't. It's kind of it's out now. <laughs> I'll describe the film um, as a virgin receiver. <laughs> uh, to the best of my abilities. Um, you, I, I assume that you both love this film. And any sort of like interference with that would be... Uh, a it's, great offense. I like. I would be like tremendously offended, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love the movie. Like maybe more. Having I've watched it like five times. I watched it certainly when it came out, and remember sure. thinking that they were a lot cooler than I do now watching them. But that's a thing about being older and relating to young people. And also, like, oh, this, this is what being an adult. Yeah, is like. totally. All right. Um, so I, I got it. Yeah, I got it. So you just, just tread carefully. Some of my descriptions. Yeah. 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 <laughs> 
Okay. All right. So there's this like human penis. Okay. It's like like nothing of a man. Um, <laughs> who's sort of the main character of the movie. And his name is Steve, and he just has no defining qualities. He wasn't in a movie before this movie, and he hasn't ever been in a movie again after this movie. Uh-huh. Um, so he is kind of the guy we follow. He works for like the Department of Transportation and is proposing this preposterous plan to run like a snow piercer <laughs> train. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's pointed, this is before the monorail episode of the season. <laughs> This is what I've been working on. If you had a train, right, a super train, you, you give the people a good reason to get out of their cars, you give them great coffee, great music, they will park and ride. I know they will. I still love my car, though. <laughs> it's, it's a bad just, plan. It's ridiculous. And everyone everyone up until the sensible mayor yeah. is like, wow, this is going to like solve all the world's problems. <laughs> um, and his plan is to have like a Hyperloop train. He's like Elon before his time. Yeah. You don't get to do that when you're just a guy working at the Department of Transportation. Like, if your pet idea will require an entire, like, infrastructure bill out of Congress, <laughs> like, work on something else. <laughs> but everyone encouraged him along yeah. up until the mayor just, like, politely declines and, like, sends him on his way. Yeah. Of course. This is the Campbell Scott character. Yeah. Campbell yeah, Scott is the so. actor. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think he's famous now. I think he's in like billions or something. He's a, oh, okay. He's, he's a working actor. Yeah. He's got one of those faces that's easy to forget. And then Pearl Jam comes and they like <laughs> do a set. Okay. But this it's guy, not so Pearl Jam. Steve it's Citizen Dick. To, sorry. <laughs> Citizen Dick comes and they like do a, a set. Eddie Vedder's um, the drummer. <laughs> this guy, Steve, likes Seattle 90s grunge music a lot. Yeah, it's just um, the local it's, music. It's just yeah. the local the, the coffee bands shop who bands. happen to be in town. Yeah, he wouldn't categorize. It's sort of it the way. version, though, of of nineties grunge music that went on to become like that one time um, Nickelback sang about Spider Man. You know? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah, it's the origin point for that family of rock music. Yes. But you know, it's funny. You can think about it. If Seattle was just more of a ska town, like this whole movie is just like them going to ska shows. Uh, imagine that like the dystopian like <laughs> dick future where seattle was a ska town instead of a, a grunge town country music would sound totally different right now i think mm -hmm. they'd be doing like some kind of ska voice the, yeah i the fact that this movie was made kind of before grunge blew up is such an interesting like trapped in amber way that this film projects itself because it is unsure of itself like uh right it, the, uh, paula abdul was apparently supposed to play was even did like screen tests i would love to see them was supposed to play the part of the the girl who like does the video dating this is just profoundly lucky because yeah. like cameron crow just happened to be living in the pacific northwest at the time and you know he, his background is as a, as a music journalist he worked for rolling stone obviously he made almost famous which is kind of about him being like a teenage rolling stone writer but like his instincts of oh there's a cool scene going on right now like maybe that's that'd be a good backdrop for a rom-com <laughs> yeah totally you know, like no one else could be thinking that. Where's Cameron Crowe's Juggalo? Uh, 
Yeah, rom-com. Why don't, I mean, we should have a Juggalo rom-com. That'd be amazing. That could have been you, Tanner. You should have had one in like That should have been that you. Been yeah, the, it's, a, it's a little past the, the window, but, you know, yeah. they still have the gathering every year. Weren't you doing a film degree in, like, Colorado around the time that, ju- like, ICP was first on the scene? It's just, yeah, man. Yeah, I was, that was, I was part of that. Sliding doors I remember, moment. <laughs> I remember one day in high school, my junior year of high school, I was hanging out with this real buster of a dude. Okay. Um, <laughs> who at one point we went out to lunch he like drove me to lunch every day maybe we would just get lunch around school and he drove me to lunch and instead of going to lunch he made me go to best buy to get in line to wait for a double release of an icp album that was like you got two different versions of the same album and they had different clowns on the cover wow real innovative eat lunch that day wait so is it like the shania twain record where half of it is like the country version the other half is the pop version I imagine so. Yeah, one one half's like murder rock, and the other is like murder death hip hop. Or yeah. is it yeah. maybe like the Flaming Lips record where they released like four different records that oh, you have to play, play at the same time? Yeah. <laughs> you know what? I'm, I'm not gonna. I'm gonna admit to you guys. We likely listened to it on the way back to school. Yeah, but I'm not sure. I've I've heard the album since. Put them on simultaneously and tell us if you discover anything about yourself. I won't, I won't do that. <laughs> Um, this movie, it, the, it's weird that it's like right at the cutting edge of the grunge movement because it seems like such a funny parody of it. Like Matt Dillon's character is like such a, he looks like a Portlandia sketch. But I was thinking about this too. It's like if you were to make a movie like even one year after this and you're like, okay, we need a character that's kind of making fun of this Eddie Vedder guy. And like, that's what you would have come up with. Yeah. But then you have like this guy and he's literally in scenes with Eddie Vedder and it's played like, oh, this is my friend. Fun fact, if I may share some trivia with you, Chris Cornell was originally going to play that part of Soundgarden. And Matt Dillon came in at the last minute and took the part. I think Cameron Crowe said... Oh, as a movie star. Yeah, well, I think Cameron Crowe said that it was like, he was like obsessed with Soundgarden and he he couldn't make it happen because like they... Soundgarden had too many shows to play to like be yeah. a Chris Cornell's part. in this movie and he doesn't have a lot of screen presence. But well, you get a lot of naked chest from him. Matt Dillon is also <laughs> wearing, I think, either Jeff Ament or Stone Gossard's wardrobe. Like all of his outfits in the movie were just like borrowed literally from Jeff Ament's <laughs> wardrobe. That makes sense. <laughs> and he does wear like a dumb hat at some point, so it must have been Jeff Ament. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's right. Oh, wait, is it Jeff who wears the dumb hat and not Stone? They both wear dumb okay. hats, but Jeff, but Jeff wears the dumber hats. <laughs> okay, yeah, there we go. Fair enough. Yeah, Pearl Jam's a major like dumb hat band. They're a big people right. forget that about Pearl Jam. They were a major dumb hat band. We have to stop talking about the bad guys from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. <laughs> we have to get back okay. to this movie and the plot. <laughs> so that guy is friends with everyone in his apartment complex, yeah. which has a big sign out front that says "Singles." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because it's like single rooms, single units. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Very cool. Uh, so we get to know everyone in the in the apartment complex. There's one woman that they all make fun of and like mercilessly gaslight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just for their own amusement. Yeah. And we just sort of like, she's sort of like the um, scrat, the rat like thing in Ice Age who's always chasing that nut. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> You know, just sort of this like fun little like interstitial where we get to laugh at this woman's misfortune. Right. And how would you describe her? I, I would say like she's kind of like the, like the person who's like real MTV. She's, a, she's, she's like what she's, she's meant of, to be in the moment. I think she's like a yuppie. Like she's just sort of like 
Yeah, but the Campbell Scott and Kira Sedgwick characters are like, those are just fully yuppie people. Yeah. But you're supposed to look at them as, oh, they're normal. So, like, I think she is kind of supposed to kind of be taken as kind of like, um, what maybe today you'd have her be like someone who is like trying to be an influencer or something. Like, that would be that yeah. character. She's definitely got that energy. She's up for anything. Yeah. She just couldn't influence. There was no way to do it. And then also Kira Sedgwick, the closer, lives here. She's not the closer <laughs> yet. She's like a, still a child. Yeah. Um, but she's like work. She's working. She's like I don't know what she. I don't remember what she does. Uh, presumably something that ends with her illustrious career as the closer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like some junior DA. And Bridget Fonda's in it. Yeah, she just works at the coffee shop. Yeah, she works at the coffee shop, and she dates Matt Dillon, who plays for Citizen Dick, who's mostly just Pearl Jam and Matt Dillon. Well, they're also kind of mud honey because, like, the, the 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 main joke of them is like a parody of "Touch Me, I'm Sick." Right. Of course. Uh, sure. <laughs> um, and there are some epic performances. Like they go to. Um, oh, they really make it sit through them, huh? They do they, have like yeah. a meet cute during a Alice in Chains performance of Wood. Yeah. And they're like. Yeah. <laughs> I watched this earlier today and I was one of the parts that made me laugh was like, you know, there's the joke where it's like, we'll always go dancing. And they're just dancing to like Owls and Chains, which just feels like, that's, that's how you go dancing? <laughs> that's just like this kind of like sludgy, like uh, heroin music. Okay. Yeah. I also think Alice in Chains, like uh, before grunge really blew up, Alice in Chains pro- must have read as like way more metal and way more dark. Yeah. I think initially they were kind of like trying to get in on hair metal a little bit. I think. They're kind of like a weird liminal band because, like, they're kind of like Jane's Addiction and them are kind of like this kind of like bridge between like regular metal and kind of what would become grunge and like some glam vibes. (laughs) Yeah, and like Soundgarden too, but I think more of those two because there is that glam element. Like, you could kind of see how a Guns N' Roses person, like, yeah, this this rocks. Um, Have we said the plot of the film? Paul Giamatti's in the movie. That's true. There's some crazy cameos. Jeremy Piven. Uh, as a, Jeremy Piven. As, as a nearly balding guy, and uh, th- that changed. President America from Independence Day is yeah. a love interest. He's got like a, you think he's going to like have a little bit of a part, and they just <laughs> no. whisk him away, shoo him away. I guess he's like a corporate stooge. So there is like, I want to get into this. He's a doctor. Yeah, I guess. Okay, fine. He's a He's like a rich successful man i should keep describing the plot yes the one bridget fonda's whole thing is that she's in love with eddie vetter and he doesn't care about her that much um so she goes all to all these like great lengths to please him and decides to get breast augmentation surgery and meets the president from independence day yeah and by eddie vetter you mean matt dillon Matt Dillon. <laughs> yeah. We, we got to keep it straight and see. Because Eddie Vedder is in the film. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then he convinces her not to get the the surgery because he's in love with her. Which is a weird move. Once. I, I feel like you should reflect on what your chosen profession is because there's a, it's a very 90s, like, like breast augmentation surgery is bad is the implication. But we're all doing it. <laughs> right. And he, he's also like 32. <laughs> like they, 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 they say he's either 32 or 33. And he's just like, he, but there's a whole thing where like she's just giving him like life advice. Like, hey man, maybe just change oh, your yeah. hair. It's like, 
it's it's a real interesting scene because like what i think in other periods of time may have been like okay this is fucked up and weird and it's like some boundaries are crossed it's like you know there's a moment of acknowledging that that immediately goes to oh no actually no you're sweet yeah there's a different telling of this story that's like the manic pixie dream girl and this considerably older man um speaking of victor garber's in the movie too okay <laughs> while we're going through the dramatis personae eric stoltz plays a mime Mm-hmm. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Did we say Tim Burton? He's in it. Tim Burton he plays a has creepy a director. Cameo as a as a director of um a video dating video. I will create your new look. I will have men dying at your feet. Ten bucks extra. And Brian will shoot your video. Twenty. <clears throat> he doesn't even know me debbie he is only like the next martin scorsese yeah the, the guy who started sub pop is one of the guys in the video dating the bruce pavitt oh really yeah. i missed that that's really fun yeah it's one of the, um, the one of the pretty like costly and dangerous uh pranks that they pull on the poor red-haired lady is getting her signed up for <laughs> video dating <laughs> It kind of works. She she in, entraps a handsome biker, but right. But that goes wrong. Like everything is just like humiliating to her, and then she just kind of goes away, and you don't you just don't see her anymore. Like, yeah, but it's like I don't know. I guess that's a person in life. It's the person who's just like constantly humiliated, and nothing really works for them. And then like, oh, wait, whatever happened to her? Oh, don't worry about it. Yeah, <laughs> she moved. basically it's an ensemble it's about a bunch of friends hanging out in coffee shops in seattle now i would like to reveal to you my second interesting piece of trivia um good thank god they you can sit back in the cut just you don't have to take your headphones all the way off but yeah (laughs) um after the success of this film which you know it's a good movie but i think it really hit at exactly the right time uh, to take advantage of like the explosion of grunge, and after the success, uh, there was a lot of interest in doing a sitcom, a singles sitcom. And Cameron Crowe was like, "Absolutely no, fuck you." So they took the idea, uh, modified it a little bit, changed the city, and called it. Shut up! It's going to be called Friends. Yeah, Friends. right. You can't like. <laughs> I bet you can find some way to like. Make any movie f- or or TV show or book from the. Hey, I'm just 80s the messenger. Become I'm just the messenger of this fact. Friends. <laughs> well, it's funny that I didn't know that, but that makes so much sense. But also, like in watching this now, it really just felt like speed running a season of a TV show because there is no totally. like real plot. Yeah, totally. But you are just watching like this gang of like twenty something people trying to date. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and that's just very, like a TV um, show. You could you could have kept this going. There's there's no real end point to this movie. It just kind of stops. It's very Melrose Place. Yes. It's very Melrose. It even has place. this sort of courtyard. Right. Yeah. Um, or Chuck. If you guys are familiar with NBC's Chuck, um, of course, which also <laughs> featured sort of a you know social hangout area. Isn't he like a superhero? Apartments. Oh yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. So yeah. you're familiar. You've seen the show. Yeah. He's a superhero. He gets like the who CIA the database downloaded into his brain. Okay. Yeah. yeah, and he works for the Geek Squad. That's a great reference point. Thank you, Tanner. Definitely an evolution of this movie. I want to talk about two things in some depth before our break. The okay. first is, I guess, just the 90s-ness of this. Like, 
my big thought absurd absurdly 90s it's absurdly 90s but it's also like literally the beginning of the 90s yeah, it's kind of and it's literally before grunge hits so they don't i was thinking about this in relation to reality bites which tanner and i have also talked about on a previous podcast reality bites comes out in 1994 so by that point like yeah. the tone and the vocabulary of the 90s has already been set and they're it's kind like, of it's like MTVatized by then. Yeah, this feels much fresher. Well, and the MTVatizing of it is like a big part of the subject matter of the of reality bites, and like it's people are like pushing back against it. They're like, "Are we are becoming commodities?" And like our authenticity is in question because it's being commoditized by MTV. Yeah, it's very right. Simpsons. The whole the whole dramatic end of that movie is like about selling out. Whereas this yeah. movie, like, this, no one even has the option of selling out. The idea that, like, any of this grunge stuff could be popular is, like, laughable, which is, you know, funny in how it actually turned out and how the movie was actually, you know, came out once the, all that stuff had been, like, massively yeah. successful. But it's still, you can still see the germs of, like, that, like, obsession with cool and authenticity and what it means. There's a scene um, at the 18-minute mark where uh, Linda, I think is her name, is being hit on by what's-his-name. I can't remember his name. Uh, Great. What did you call him? Why large, do we even do the dramatic large, persona large human at the beginning dick. of every episode? <laughs> uh, the camera... Uh, Steve. Sorry, the Campbell Scott character. By Campbell Scott. And he, like, he comes up and he's like... My friend and I have this long-running argument. And here it is. He says that when you come to a place like this, you... You can't just be yourself, you have to have an act. So anyway, I I saw you standing there, so I thought, A, I, I could just leave you alone, B, I could come up with an act, or C, I could just be myself. I chose C. What do you think? And she said, she responds, I think that A, you have an act, uh -huh. and that B, not having an act is your act. And that's like, that's like so oh, the first listicle. fucking 90s. Yeah, it's the first yeah. listicle. But, but also, it's the Ten Commandments. <laughs> but, 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 you know, the part I had, there's parts of this movie that I had just completely forgotten. They're just gone from my mind, even despite having seen it a few times. And the first was like the beginning of that movie where like she is being taken in by this guy who has an act and it's a whole, and she kind of catches him in it. He's like, you know, he's from Spain and he has to go. And, like, oh, oh yeah. yeah. You know, it's like this whole vignette. It's like, it's like the first 10 minutes of the movie. It's yeah. really funny. Yeah. I want you to have this. I wish I was better able to tell you what I'm thinking, but this is a symbol of our future. I want to return in two months and see you again. There's a lot of stuff in this movie that, because it's about dating and because, it, you know, aside from the, the sequence of the video dating, which, you know, is just a joke in, in the context of the movie, where it's like, oh, this is like really just like another universe of how people d dated. This is like the, the IRL, everything is IRL. You have to go places, you have to meet people. Oh, no, horrifying. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, I feel like this is one of those movies that would just be like, if you showed this to a person who is like currently like 21, 22, they would just be like, what, what is this? Like, you know, they yeah, would understand it would like the, the past 40s. existed, but it would still just be very, much harder to relate to all these people who have to constantly like go up to someone at a bar. It may as well be about like a Sadie Hawkins dance, you know, like <laughs> just so old fashioned. <laughs> what are the other plot lines in the, in the apartment building? That's most of it. Yeah. Well, there's also, like, the Campbell Scott character is friends with the Bridget Fonda character platonically. Yes, although he's, like, a creep to everyone. 
but he does fall in love with the closer. Yes. He falls in love with the closer. She who also uh, lives in she the doesn't, complex. She doesn't want him. I can't totally remember why. <laughs> she thinks it's not going to work. Um, and then there's a miscarriage scene um, mm-hmm. where she becomes pregnant. And then there's sort of a lot of questions about um, whether or not she's w- ready to be a mom. And then they're in a car wreck, which is kind of a surprising end to the film. But everyone is okay. And they do get together. And that's the end of that. It's sort of implied that he um, caused it to happen. He did a bad driving. <laughs> well, he kind of has this like as a city planner yeah. and like as a highway like highway oh. man. He sort of has this like sixth sense for okay. like infrastructure failure. And right before the car accident, he's right. like, "Oh, this yellow light is lasting too long," and then like proceeds yeah. to go through it. So you think this movie is just like a subtle attempt to get an infrastructure bill passed in Seattle. Yeah, every single thing about <laughs> it is that he has an agenda. Everything is just a need to the end of we must get this train. <laughs> Whatever the cost. He's like this diabolical Ayn Rand character. And there is a point in the movie where like uh, Bridget Fonda... I like, clocked it too. Yeah, she's like hanging out on her roof and she's got... Uh, was, it, was it the Fountainhead? I think it was the Fountainhead. It's the Fountainhead. And it's right after her breakup scene. And it's funny, the Fountain... So she's like, you know, she's like free from from this douchey Eddie Vedder type and uh it, she's shown like sunbathing and in a carefree manner browsing the fountainhead and it just hits so different i think that's another just like of the time like now it would be such a signifier yeah <laughs> of, of oh yeah like, a parody character but at the time i think it reads as like she's cultured and also like ready to be free <laughs> I, I think even more than that it just looks like a book that she may have just found on the street yeah, I, I think that above all else is what it is. Like, oh, what's this about? Another thing that hits really different. I think it's Linda, uh, Kyra Sedgwick, at the twenty-nine minute mark. She says, uh, "Well, I, I thought for sure I'd meet someone in college. You know, a perfect combination of, of Mel Gibson and 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 Holden Caulfield and, and the sexual revolution would just sweep us both away." <laughs> oh, what a dream! <laughs> oh, right. Just and then really... there's the scene where she's like at the in college and she's at like a, a party where everyone has to address as their favorite contraception. And I, I thought that was interesting because like it, it it's a kind of a, a weird cultural inflection point that doesn't really get remarked on is that there is this point in the 80s once like AIDS really kicks in where like so much culture on the stuff oh, yeah. like, changes drastically. And it was also like old, like that one point during the right before the miscarriage scene. Uh, sorry to bring that specter back. They decide to go and do a bunch of pregnancy tests, and they're all like medieval. Like you're like <laughs> mixing like vials of potions together <laughs> to figure out if you're pregnant. So and Jeremy Piven is way. the grocery store clerk. <laughs> yeah, he's good. He plays a very yeah. I, I like the Piven character. moment yeah. where you know he's just goofing around, but then he sees things like oh, uh, or maybe you might. <laughs> Yeah, we got too bad. It's going to be insane. Would you get up and do a little wheels of steel? Oh, no, no. Are you sure? Yeah. You're the only man I know who can mix up Elvis Costello and Public Enemy. What's so funny about peace, 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 love and under peace, 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 death row? What does a brother understand? Peace, 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 understand peace, peace. You're the best, man. You are the king. You are the king. You got to be there, man. You must be there. Of course, you may be busy. <laughs> yeah. Can we talk about the soundtrack to this film? Because in many ways, as a lot of Rotten Tomatoes reviewers 
pointed out, this is more soundtrack than movie. It's kind of a standard rom-com <laughs> that just happens to have like this incredible soundtrack that has, I would say, at least four or five like stone classic songs on it. Do you want to play a game that I, well, I didn't invent it, but I like to play, which is let's guess what is the most streamed on Spotify song on this soundtrack. In fact, can you name the top five? I mean, I could name, I'd probably name the top five. I'm guessing the number one, it's either, it might be Wood or it might be Drown. Um, so Drown is disqualified because it's not streaming. Oh, okay. It wouldn't be streaming as part of that. It would be streaming separately as part of like right. the Pumpkins catalog. So I'm guessing it would be Allison Chain's Wood. It's Wood, yeah, by yeah. a long shot. Yeah. So Wood Wood has like at two hundred more than two hundred million streams, and the second biggest song on the soundtrack is "State of Love and Trust." "State of Love and Trust" by Pearl Jam is number three. Number two, of course, Chris Cornell is song, "Nearly Lost You" by Screaming Trees. Oh, interesting. I would. That's a, okay. I would have guessed "Breath" and "State of Love and Trust." The, the two Pearl Jam songs would be ahead of that. But you know what? I think there might be like a lot of vote splitting in terms of that because oh, those, probably, those appear yeah, because they're on like, like comps and right. Exactly. I think like the 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 versions of "Breath" and "State of Love and Trust" that probably get more are on the actual like Pearl Jam greatest hits thing. Well, and a lot of these songs because of like it's a when, Swedish company too. when this Spotify. Okay, perfect. Yeah, thank you, Tanner. So it's going to skew. <laughs> yeah. Like Northern European. To what you know? Swedish people are interested in. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's a good understanding of Spotify. A lot of these songs are like non-album tracks because, you know, these bands were just like, we're not famous. And Drown is kind of a famous example of that. It's, I think probably, Matthew, you're the, the real Smashing Pumpkins expert here, but I probably one of their best songs. Excuse me. I would say oh, sorry, I would Tanner. say it's one of the best, and it definitely was like a, a big moment for them because uh, it's probably like the first real exposure they had, and then I think within a year, Siamese Dream came out. Oh, people heard Billy Corgan's beautiful vocals in this movie, and they're like, "Oh, I want more of that." I one of the reasons I think that this is not streaming on the single soundtrack on Spotify is that Billy Corgan has this like real anger about the way Drown was treated for right, singles. Right, it was, it was meant to be a single, but then I guess they decided not to. The, yeah, they gave it, it was blowing up on the radio. They gave it to singles instead of putting it on Siamese Dream. And they feel that the record label Epic, I think, killed it because Wood by Alice in Chains was taking off so dramatically right. and that they didn't want a drown too. to like interfere with that because the because the pumpkins were signed to virgin and the i believe allison chains w- was in the epic sony group so it was like they had a vested interest in promoting pearl jam and allison chains but yeah so drown i think was their like probably first really big exposure after i guess what rhinoceros or whatever yeah like and that would be like pretty minor um Right. So, yeah, this would be like the, the first like Pumpkin song that would conceivably be played on normal radio and even just kind of at a smaller capacity. They didn't really get like serious airplay until like a year later when Today was that was big. But I think if it had been on Siamese Dream, it would have been second or third single and would have been just like vastly bigger than it is yeah. in the like cultural consciousness. I mean, it was, it's from the, the Gish era, so... I don't think I think it was pretty much recorded in the can before they started because they're literal. Now you're literally talking nonsense. You're just <laughs> making up words just to see if I'm paying attention. Oh, the Gish era. You didn't think the, I'd the catch first that one. The record is called Gish. 
<laughs> uh, it feels totally Siamese dream to me, though. Yeah, um, it, yeah, it's kind of like the beginning of, of that whole phase, and uh, yeah, I mean, it's a classic song. They play it live a lot to this day. Um, the next, so the other, the next, we don't, we won't do the whole soundtrack, Tanner. I promise. But, yeah, you know. Green Day's on it, and um, something corporate, Weedus, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> something corporate, and Jack's Mannequin, both. The biggest song on this at the time and now is Wood by Alice in Chains. Yeah, one of the definitive Alice in Chains songs. It's a fucking banger. I had never put together, this is like so obvious, but it's, it's I th- I think it's a tribute to Andrew Wood, who, the singer of uh, Mother Love Bone. Yeah, I not the put title together the, the title, because <laughs> it's Wood, W-O-L-D, yeah. question mark. Wood? Um, I am kind of a big Alice in Chains fan, which is funny. <laughs> I really like them. I certainly like Dirt era Alice in Chains. And I am obsessed with Lane Staley and Jerry Cantrell's harmonies. Yes. I mean, that, I mean, that's one of the things that really sets them apart is that they're like this metal band that has like this kind of like weird kind of medieval harmony vocal. They're gorgeous. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very distinctive. I've spent a weird amount of time looking at YouTube videos by musicians, like picking apart like what, what it is about those harmonies. Apparently it is that they do, especially in like the um, verse part of Wood, they do a lot of parallel fourths and fifths. <laughs> and the main thing, like which, whatever, like I, I don't, I'm not musical enough to even deeply understand what that means, but it's parallel. So they're like moving together in the same yeah. sequence and it creates this kind of like eeriness. Jesus. I, I think particular to Wood, it's, it's also just a very interesting song structure because, you know, Jerry Cantrell's singing most of the verses, but then it kicks into... The, the Lane Staley part. So it's like Lane Staley is almost like this kind of like you're, you're hitting a, a distortion pedal to make the song go bigger. Yeah. So yeah. It's uh, it's interesting because like I think most people would kind of identify Lane Staley as like, oh, that's the same for Alice in Chains, you know, R.I.P. But yeah, I mean, most of those songs, Jerry Cantrell sings like a significant chunk of the lead part. Yeah. And then Lane Staley is doing all these like, if you just like isolate his harmonies, they're like super funky. I think this is like an example of how like it's early 90s and they don't know what the 90s is going to be and they don't know what grunge is going to be. The like the other like big song on this is Dyslexic Heart by Paul Westerberg. Yeah, yeah. And totally like it's an awesome song. I think it's Paul Westerberg's like first going solo after the replacements or certainly early on. Yeah. It's, and so it's, it's like it's he's probably like the his big biggest name. song outside of the replacements by far. Yeah. He's the big name that they get for this movie, and the song feels like the theme of the movie. It, yeah, it's the one song that's really tied to like a rom-com energy. But it's totally different from everything else on the soundtrack. Like the lyrics are overtly rom-commy. Like the you know has it na 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 na. I, got, I mean, yeah, you can kind of see like the origin of Friends there too. Like we need a song that's kind of like Dyslexic Heart, but like way yeah. more goofy. Yeah, it totally sounds like the um, the Rembrandts. Uh, no, no, no offense to Paul Westerberg; it's a great song. And uh, I also noticed that this time around, uh, radio song is on this, mm-hmm. but it's not in the soundtrack. Yeah, there's a, there's a bunch of things that aren't actually used. There's you know, there's a. I mean, is that because I know they did like a huge reissue of the soundtrack. Did they end up putting it on that or no? I'm not sure if radio songs on the reissue. I know that there's a Jane's Addiction yeah. song that is in the, that's like prominent in the movie, but it's not on the soundtrack, but maybe on the reissue. Yeah. And then there's like State of Love and Trust is this Pearl Jam song that's also a non-album 
track. Yeah, that and Breath, those are both like ten. Those both, those are big like ten era songs that I guess they, they uh, were like, okay, you know, we'll, we'll, we're going to use them for something else, and that's what it was for. Um, but yeah, I mean, those were like those are as big as anything else from that period for them. Um, Breath happens to be one of the Pearl Jam songs I like the most. Oh, really? Um, yeah, State of Love and Trust is fine, but like I, I like Breath a lot. That one. The, the, there's a thing about Pearl Jam that I like, and I think it's, it's a bit in the Chili Peppers of the era too, where like there is a real jock energy. They're like athletic guys. They're like into basketball and doing stuff like that. And I feel like it comes through in songs like that. There is this kind of like basketball energy. <laughs> oh, and, that, and the song they did for the Jock Jam soundtrack. <laughs> yeah. Did they, like, Tanner? Dun, dun, dun. Da-da. That one? I don't think that's Pearl Jam. Oh, yeah. The like, that's title. A, that's that's, that's <laughs> song a song by the Jack legendary Jam. sex criminal. <laughs> Close, though. So I love, I, I hope that Eddie Vedder listens to this podcast and hears you describe Pearl Jam as both uh, basketball energy and big hat energy. Well, I mean, Eddie Vedder also <laughs> brings surfer energy. He's a surfer guy. Yeah, and like, totally. lots of the songs are literally about surfing. So, <laughs> yeah, the other guys are bringing basketball energy. Jeff Amon's a basketball player. He was like, I think he was a, I think he was a college basketball guy, and Eddie Vedder is a surf guy. So you know, they're bringing different kinds of jock energy to rock and roll. Suppose we should say it's notable. Yeah, just to get back to the movie for a moment. Sure. That Steve, the human penis, thinks about a supersonic player named Xavier. Something. Xavier McDaniel. Yeah, he's in the movie. Yeah. yeah. McDaniel. Steve, don't come yet. <laughs> What are you thinking right now? Yeah, I just go out and just play basketball, good hard-nosed basketball. Things happen throughout the course of the game. There's nothing you can do. Uh, I don't go out to look to say I'm going to beat this guy up or beat that guy up. Anything else, X? Yes, Steve, don't come yet. It's a very funny cameo in the movie. <laughs> like, I would love to, like, get the pitch for that. Hey, like, Xavier, like, we want you to do this movie, <laughs> and this is your one line of dialogue. It's iconic. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you another piece of trivia, um, and then we can do our hit segment. Okay. I was going to say that State of Love and Trust was written for this movie. Apparently, it was written, Eddie Vedder, like, watched the movie and wrote the song based on oh, wow. watching so the movie. Oh, wow. he was reaching for the bomb calm energy. That makes yeah. sense for the lyrics, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Um, uh, and the other fun trivia is that um, so Jeff Ament wrote like a set list of fake Citizen Dick. Citizen Dick is the fake band fronted by Matt Dillon in the movie. So he, Jeff Ament wrote a set list of fake songs for them to play. And Chris Cornell like had a challenge for himself that he would like take those fake song titles and write real songs. Uh, one of which was Spoon Man. Nice. That's a fun Big fact. Big hit. Big hit for him. Feel the rhythm while, while you can. Um, let's take a very quick break and come back with our hit segment. And we're back. And Tanner, uh, I'm going to let you take a break and think about what you've done uh, for a little bit. Uh, and then we're going to bring in a special friend. I was already so far back in the cut that you... <laughs> Calling me back to, to presence, yeah, on the podcast. Like you could have just let me stay. <laughs> nope, you gotta go. We need arbiter Tanner. I don't want to go, Matthew. I should explain. Every week, Jack sends me to um, sort of like. A, have you seen the movie Priest? No, I don't think so. Demolition Man. Like have you seen the movie? Dem- okay, yeah. <laughs> Um, and it was like Paul Bettany, and he sort of plays this futuristic priest. I'm pretty sure it's based on some like, superhero priest. You know, yeah. 
yeah, he plays a superhero priest in a dystopian future where vampires. There's mega cities in the desert, and there's vampires out in the desert. Um, great so movie. I'm sent to a futuristic version of the world that's like that, and a little bit of like mega cities from Judge Dredd to, and a little bit Demolition Man. And it's sort of this terrible, awful future, and I'm sort of warped there in a Terminator bubble every week. Oh. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know what happens here. Um, I'm never told. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Arbiter Tanner, welcome. Hello, Jack. Who's your guest? <laughs> this is uh, Matthew. Please meet Arbiter Tanner. He's from the distant future. Uh, it's a terrible dystopia uh, there. I, I like your cyborg eye, though. That looks pretty cool. <laughs> Oh, thank you. Um, it's actually cosmetic, mostly. <laughs> um, it doesn't do a lot. It just sort of makes my vision in my right eye red. Right, like a, the glowing red. I, I like the glowing part. <laughs> yeah, it sucks. Um, I'm technically not allowed to drive. <laughs> anyway, I'm here from the future. I used to shoot people's dicks off if I disagreed with their reviews. They're rotten. He's here to arbitrate. Films. Yeah, I'm Arbiter Tanner. Um, but I, we got some feedback that that was a little violent yeah. for the sort of rom-com crowd. So now <laughs> I, I dispense justice, justice in the form of kisses. The review I agree with the most about this film. Yeah. Well, gets received all my kisses, kisses. And, the, and everyone else is withheld kisses. Yeah. And doomed forever to live in the shadows. It's our hit segment is called on the one hand. And, uh, it's where I've collected a number of positive, middling, and negative reviews. And we don't look at the critics. Matthew, we're men of the people. We're not interested in what the critics have to say. They can go fuck themselves. We're interested in authenticity, just like the 90s children that we are. And we go to the people themselves to get the raw. The the people who are writing little notes on the VHS at the video store. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Oh, God, I'm so glad I wasn't aware of that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so we're going to begin with our segment within a segment that is also called, confusingly, On the One Hand, uh, and it's where uh, we talk about some positive reviews from the film. Uh, I've collected a couple. The first is from Brian M., who gave this film five stars on September thirteenth, 2013, and says, Miss Being Single. Oh. <laughs> oh. Well... Guy. Well, <laughs> Brian, it sounds like you're in a toxic relationship. Get out of there, man. There's that point early in the movie where like the Campbell Scott character is like My dad left home when I was eight. You know what he said to me? Have fun. Stay single. I was eight. Oh yeah. So, like, this guy, this guy was like, no, but his father's a jackass. I wish I so badly wish I never married this woman. I don't think you can publicly say miss being single. Because by definition, it means that your partner <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't think people are is onerous to online, you. <laughs> especially in the um, in the IMDb reviews or on Tomato. God, imagine like you know finding that your 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 partner or whatever like and you you happen to this, happen upon it one way or another, and you're like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> Just shitting all over you in the Rotten Tomato reviews. <laughs> like this is how I find out. We've been together for seven years. Brian M. is like, I've been getting away with this since 2013, but some fucking jackass put it on a podcast and now I'm divorced. <laughs> we do. There is a whole, like, there is a narrative that we've noticed throughout the Rotten Tomato reviews. Yeah. We've been doing this long enough now that there's some, some recurring characters, certainly. Yeah. And then some, like, some rivalries, it seems like, and some definite religious nuts <laughs> yeah i haven't found any religious nuts this time but there are a surprising number of religious nuts on the <laughs> on the rotten tomatoes okay i i sympathize with brian yeah. m yeah okay 
<laughs> but I'm not sure. I'm not sure he's earned my kisses yet. Isabel Marufo gave this film five stars on November fifteenth, two thousand and nine, with the following review: The noise is far too rad. The what? The noise is far too rad. Wow. Oh, is that a quote from the movie? No. I think she's maybe like just saying the that the soundtrack is cool, and maybe she English is not her first language. I don't know, but it sounds like like a very '90s way of describing. Yeah, this film. it sounds like, a, like she's <laughs> trying to be a Ninja Turtle. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which is a very '90s. That's that's definitely what I was doing in 1992. You were that's checking the kind out of secret media of the I was consuming. Yeah. <laughs> oh, absolutely. This is a segment within a segment we like to call "On the Fence Hand." Why do we call it that? I wanted to call it "On the Fence." Yeah, but we have two segments already, on the one hand and yeah. on the other hand. So yeah. the one that's middling reviews would certainly be on the fence hand. Yeah, so Tanner's decided it's got to be called on the fence hand. The first middling review I collected is from Skyler, who gave this film 2.5 stars on December 11th. John, um, from Breaking Bad. The okay. wife from Breaking the Bad. The wife from Breaking Bad. Skyler says... If you're at an Alice in Chains concert in the early 90s, shut your mouth and invest every atom of your attention on Lane Staley and the band. Trust me, your relationship issues can wait until the gig is over. Fair enough. Wow. <laughs> Sounds like this guy has a lot of relationship issues. <laughs> I think that's fair enough. It's a, something I notice as well. It's like, shut the fuck up. They're playing wood, dude. They don't know what they're getting, you know? <laughs> He's going to be dead within five years. Yeah, exactly. Oh, no, not five. He died, he died in 02. But. I saw Alice in Chains at Lollapalooza, and Lane Staley got really oh, fucking wow. mad because people were throwing bottles at him. God, it's real Gen X 90s energy. I saw Journey <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> at the Milford Oyster Festival last summer. Who did you see? Journey. Where? In the dystopian future? Milford. They're still around? Milford Oyster Festival. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Milford, Connecticut is they thriving journey back. in the far future. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and there it's and it's they've gotten that's been some turnover, certainly. Uh, yeah. yeah. People, people just never stop believing that far in the future. Like, <laughs> Everyone sang along. That's awesome. Or like Vox, you know, like Vox boxed along. Yeah. They're all holograms. Daniel G gave the film three stars on April twenty third, twenty twelve, and he says, hit a nerve and it hurt. <laughs> Wow, everyone's got everyone's so quippy. Uh, but I don't know what in he the means. Tomato reviews. Today. Like I feel like I need more context about his life. Like, who, what do you mean? Who do you suppose <laughs> he was uh, relating to in this movie? Because like, because uh, <laughs> most of the main characters get kind of a happy ending. So is he relating to like the the, the red haired woman who's just being like tormented and eventually oh, just yeah. goes away? <laughs> Maybe like, he just sent off his video dating. Oh VHS. yeah, hit a nerve. <laughs> Everyone constantly bullies me too. Yeah. <laughs> like, like there, there are some very bitter guys in the video dating montage. Maybe like he saw too much of himself in one of those guys. Yeah, <laughs> me too. Nate H on August seventh, two thousand eleven, gave this film two point five stars. That's Big Nate from the comic strip. Big Nate Tanner is that before your time? I don't, yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Isn't Big Nate the name of a rapper? <laughs> Here's what Big Nate says, and I hope it's a reference to the movie, though I couldn't find it. Working on my dental dam costume for safe sex party. Oh, yeah, the, the, they have the scene where like she's at the, the, oh, thank the, God. the contraceptive party. So, yeah, okay, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I feel like, I feel like that, that's a high bar to clear because I'm not sure if most people recognize a dental dam, to be honest with you. Much less, like, I mean, I think like, is that a saran wrap? You know, I think dental dam jokes is a big kind of a thing that went away with the 90s. Yeah. Probably. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's sponge worthy, you know. 
it's sponge worthy. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, you, you, it's little condoms though. You could, you could do a condom outfit will always be recognizable. Oh yeah, like Howie Mandel. <laughs> well, especially since one of these guys is a giant human penis. I heard he. Yeah, <laughs> I heard Howie Mandel really hurt his sinuses doing that, <laughs> rolling a condom over his head and blowing it up. Okay, that's your fun trivia. <laughs> I guess yeah. now I should. I guess I should fact check it. <laughs> Um, I'll give you one more middling review from this film. Jay Wasu gave this film 3.5 stars on July 16th, 2011, with the following review. A three and a half star film that I give four stars simply because I'm a Gen Xer. True, but you didn't. (laughs) Jay Wasu gave it three and a half stars. It's a fucking I can't confirm lie. that he's actually... I can't confirm T- it. Tanner, I'm okay, sorry I said that. Tanner, as I'm a sorry. hardcore millennial, what's a movie that would be like that for you? Where it's like, you know, this is, this movie's kind of mid, but this is this this is my, my youth. From Justin to Kelly. Okay. What? From what? Yeah. To what? Justin Kelly. Justin, uh, Kelly Clarkson, Justin Guarini, the two finalists of season one of uh, American Idol. I think as, a, as part of the deal yeah. for being the finalists of uh, the first season of American Idol got to do a, a teen comedy together called From Justin to Kelly. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of like a throwback to like the old like Disney beach movies with like Annette Funicello kind of stuff. It's my it's my generation 16 candles, yeah. you know. Okay, that's really beautiful. And then they stopped doing that like <laughs> they never did it again. Although, I think in the second year it was um Ruben Stuttered and Clay Aiken. Like that would have been an interesting two-hander. Was it called From Ruben yeah. to Clay? <laughs> That sounds person. great. I'd watch Could have been. Yeah, from Clay to Ruben. Yeah, very good. Well, it's funny because like it's, it's from Justin to Kelly, right? So like Kelly gets second billing despite winning the show. Yeah, that's bullshit. That's... Didn't Justin win the show? No, Kelly Is did famously. Is it conceivable famously. that... Okay. People are always underwriting Kelly Clarkson. Thank goodness for that. This is a segment within a segment that I like to call On the Other Hand. And yep. it's... I'm only going to read... I've collected a number, but I'm only going to read two one-star reviews of this film um, because they're okay. all wrong. Andre, mm-hmm. are you? Oh, I didn't realize Arbiter Jack joined me. <laughs> Sorry, future. yeah, I'm not allowed to comment. I'm, I'm just, I'm totally unbiased here. I'm a journalist. Okay. Um, Andre O, and it's like a zero. It's got like that line through it. Andre zero. That's, That's pretty fucking cool. cool. Yeah, gives this film one star on November twelfth, two thousand eight. Review will be written when, if rewatched. Probability zero. Wow. <laughs> Like zero? Like yeah. his name. Yeah. <laughs> like his name. Well, then why even then go back and edit yourself? Because <laughs> it's not it's not when or if. I feel yeah. like he... Def- you're definitely not... This is the final review. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like he should have just been like, I give it zero stars if I could. <laughs> that, that should be yeah, his deal that'd if be your cool. name is zero. Andre zero. Maybe he just goes around giving zero stars to everything. Maybe it's Billy Corgan. He wore that zero shirt all the yeah. time. Famous That's Billy, yeah. and Billy's still fucking pissed because Drown got killed yeah. on the radio. And he's also declaring himself zero in that, so yeah, he's owning it. He makes a strong point. Can you do another one star? I'm f- I'm feeling pretty compelled by the one stars. I've got one more one star um, that I'm yeah, gonna read you. Let's do a couple more. Um, I can do a few more if you want, but this is the one that I've selected. It's Sean R's one star review on October twenty eighth, two thousand seven. Here's what Sean R says. Yeah, I used to like it too. But I was wrong. Sean Rambo. Thank you. But I was wrong. Sorry, Matthew, sometimes we like to guess who the reviewer is. Yeah. And I'm a little slow on the uptake today. It's been some tricky names. Yeah. I'll start again. But Sean Rambo. Here's what Sean Rambo, Rambo says. 
Yeah, <laughs> they do never say it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's Sean Rambo. He says, yeah, I used to like it too, but I was wrong. Get over it. <laughs> oh, wow. That's a very 90s attitude. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I liked it when it was cool. That's sort of that like corn nuts humor, yeah. you know? That's cool. I think it's cool. Uh, Matthew, you can weigh in as well, but Tanner is the final arbitration. Who do you think is correct here out of all these reviews? It's, I think the the closest truth is a guy who is basically like this. This is kind of an okay movie, but I have these rose colored glasses, so it's it's better than yeah. I think that I think that's like this. This movie is like such a prime example of that kind of thing, where it's like basically just a, a, a off the rack rom com. Or at least the author-act rom-com of this period of time. Rom-coms have very different energy now. But it's also so cool. It's like, you know, this has been kind of a theme of our conversation. But, like, because this was made before any of these bands were meaningfully big outside of Seattle, like, it hits so different when it came out because all these bands were huge. And it feels like a cash-in attempt and, like, cynical and just, like, a rom-com that's of the moment. But, in fact, it was, like... Literally the coolest, most underground, like predicting the zeitgeist yeah. <laughs> movie of it's all time when it was like, made. <laughs> when you consider like rom coms of the past, you know, 21st century rom coms, like none of this movie would have anything to do with that because like no one in this movie is rich. No one's going to any fantastical places. You know, it, like all that is it, this, but it, it's about cool people, like genuinely cool people. No one works for a magazine. You know? Yeah, this is sort of when they update this film with reality bites, they all have like either cool uh, or yeah. corporate jobs. Yeah. And like the, yeah. the that's the tension. This one felt we've watched a lot of these these nineties rom rom coms now, and this one felt like it had a different energy from all the others. Yeah, and it's because it like the nineties hasn't like totally calcified yet. Um I just Matthew, I I I really respect you. This is our better tanner, I guess. <laughs> um I really respect you. Um I it was actually a huge honor to meet you. Flux blog is still really huge <laughs> in the future. <laughs> in the metaverse. Wow. Wow. Um it's got like it's like it's, it is the metaverse essentially <laughs> it's sort of like uh has taken over the metaverse it's pretty dangerous <laughs> but i disagree with your assessment the correct person who's getting all my kisses is um i think the second one was her name sophia oh isabel is the one who says the isabel? noise is far too rad mm. okay and i'll be i'm gonna be heading back to the future now um and sending tanner back okay and again don't please don't tell him about anything yeah. that transpires here great <laughs> I guess that phrase makes more sense in the future. What? Uh, what? What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, the noise is too far rad. Is that something they're saying in the future, Tanner? Did you notice while you were there? Yeah, it's sort of this like incantation. You know? <laughs> okay, cool. And it's ne- has a negative. They, they say it like they say aloha in Hawaii. It okay. sort of means hello and oh, goodbye. Okay, yeah, that's really nice. Yeah. We um, are almost done here. Do you want to do Burns? Yeah, I guess. Okay. Should I, I don't want to go first, though. I want to go last. Okay. It, well, it, and Matthew may not be able to go because it, I didn't warn him in advance that we were going to be doing our hit segment. Totally fine. Yeah, burn yeah, of the yeah. week where we talk about the Burns in the movie. So maybe it's just me, but I did capture a burn. It's at the 41-minute mark when, what's her name? Bridget Fonda calls up Matt Dillon, I think, and is trying to be super sexy. I'm on the bed right now. Wearing something really outrageous. I've got no underwear on. I need to be touched. 
I'm burning for you, Cliff. And then she got the wrong number. It's some dude on the other end of the phone. He goes, I think you got the wrong number, lady, but I'll be right over. <laughs> Very 90s yeah. moment. Tanner, did you capture a burn? No, I don't have one. I thought okay. I could find one, but... No, that's all right. It's kind of a burn light I'm movie. I'm thinking of the moment where Paul <laughs> a little bit of a burn light movie. He's just like having this like hot makeout session, and then like they catch him. At, you know, he makes eye contact. He's like, but he kind of kind of gives this like what kind of face? Like how you know? Like that might be it for me. It's a non-verbal burn. <laughs> like how dare you? Paul Giamatti is mad yeah. right now. <laughs> that happened to me one time, famously. What? Tell us about it i went to an off-broadway play one time and someone was loudly eating m&ms behind me and i politely turned around to <laughs> give him an eye and it was paul giamatti <laughs> wait really <laughs> how come you've never told yeah. me this before it's one of the most I interesting things that's ever before. happened he's <laughs> eating peanut m&ms right behind me <laughs> loudly yeah. Uh, yeah whether it's a character or him in real life you should just never question whatever paul Giamatti's doing no yeah, I, I hope you he didn't like a awards for his portrayal as john adams okay and he's great in the tv show billions oh so everyone from this movie went on to go be in billions well he's the main guy in billions for sure i have not seen um no i didn't have any burns i guess he calls she says she asks if she's an amazonian at some point and steve says that she's from the high plains that's another classic matt dylan moment where she's like tell me honestly i mean is that what you want you know and don't lie, because when you do, your eye twitches, and I know it anyway. Okay. Ask me. Are my breasts too small for you? Sometimes. All right, like sometimes. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Sometimes it was the '90s. Everyone was like, "It's too mean." <laughs> yeah, There's, they're not good burns because they're all too mean. They're, they're, they're too mean. targeted. See, if this movie was in the recent past, like Janet would be like, "Should I get a BBL?" So, like, is my butt too small for you? It's like sometimes. Wow, sounds like this movie is in need, of, desperate need of a remake. And I have found <laughs> three eligible. <laughs> Just the guys. Flippers. <laughs> yeah. I believe that is most of the time we have for today, unless either of you have any burning things you'd like to share about the film that you have not had an opportunity to say yet. Chris Cornell's in it. Chris Cornell's in it. R.I.P. R.I.P. Oh, so we should probably do Salmon Rushdie. No, he's not. He wasn't in it. Oh, yeah. We should. Yeah, this is a hit segment we have called Salmon Rushdie Check. Salmon Rushdie, hello. Hi. The question is, what does truth mean? You may or may not know that the internet is full of completely nonsensical websites. <laughs> <laughs> Where we check uh, to see if Salman Rushdie is in the movie, and yeah, no, he's not in this one. Not in this one. It's only, so far, he's, I think... Only one hit. Only one time have we had a hit with that, the Salman Rushdie check. What was he in? Yeah. Pretty big role in Bridget Jones's diary. Yeah, he has a, has oh, a surprisingly yeah. large role in Bridget Jones's diary. <laughs> That's all the time we have for today. I would like to thank you, Tanner, very much for bearing with us. Hey, no problem. I would like to thank Matthew very Learned much. Learned a lot, I would for say. Bearing with us as well and for joining Forgot us. Forgot a lot of details of my childhood on the show. Some fond childhood memories have now been supplanted by knowledge about fucking. <laughs> Stone Temple Pilots, or whatever. <laughs> Just trains. <laughs> uh, 
Um, Matthew, where can people find you and what's the best episode that they should listen to to get into FluxPod? And it's the one with me on just Yeah, I think they should definitely go to the REM episode. Um, I think that the best place to find me is actually uh, Flux blog on Substack because that's a, well, it's it's a free Substack. I'm not making people pay for that. But it also just kind of collects everything I do for the week. So all my blog posts, if I have a podcast, all, I, I have all these playlists that come out. They're all in one place. And that's that's the best place to do it. Fluxblog.substack.com. Excellent. Um, I would like to remind folks that they can and indeed must subscribe to our Patreon. It's patreon.com slash podcast. It's fun and it's good and it's a great way to support the show. Yeah, we talk about the TGIF shows. We're in the winter of 1989 right now. Yeah, we've been stuck there for a long time. (laughs) Yeah. Um, uh, You can join our Facebook group. It's Baby Nation on Facebook. And you can rate and recommend the show wherever folks do that. And we appreciate people who have done it. All that remains is for me to say that this week, my name has been Jack Alexander Shepard. My name is Tanner Greenring. And I've been Matthew Perpetua. And Jack and Tanner... You rock my world. Janet, you rock my world. (laughs) Whoa, thank you. Thank you. Nobody ever says that to us. No, people should say that more often. That's now a rule. If you come on the show, you have to say that. (laughs) And finally, I hope that you find your mud honey ever after. Poor. (laughs) We might be chugging friends and I might chug